Uh, so I get to give my first in-person from the pulpit Happy New Year of 2023. Uh, technically, I preached the first message of the year via YouTube, but um, just in case you didn't know, I recorded it in 2022. Just peeking behind the curtain, I'm sorry. Hopefully that doesn't deter you. Uh, but it's great to be, to be with you. And today is also Lunar New Year. It is the first day of the year of the rabbit. And so as a, as a kid growing up in Hong Kong, we, were cel- we would celebrate Chinese New Year. It was a time for visiting family. And we would make the rounds with my dad's side of the family, make the rounds with my mom's side of the family. We would collect little lucky red envelopes with a crisp new 20 Hong Kong dollar bill. Sometimes more, but usually not. And then I think we would usually celebrate at my grandma's house with a family feast. Uh, so in Hong Kong, the traditional greeting for Chinese New Year is, a, is an expression of congratulations and best wishes for a prosperous year. And we're going to try this together. You don't need to be embarrassed because everybody's going to be trying it together. So, and it's only on the internet. <laughs> so in Cantonese, the phrase is gong hei fa choi. Gong hei fa choi. Gong hei means congratulations, and fa choi means best wishes for a prosperous year. Uh, so that's, uh, that's uh, you know, Lunar New Year today. Uh, I would say it in other languages, but I'm not going to embarrass myself like that. Uh, but as, as someone, I'm, I'm someone who's been in the camp of, of slow start, restart, how are we already three weeks into the year, and please can I have another break? Uh, Lunar New Year, even Lunar New Year feels early uh, to me. Uh, but I am glad to be here with you all. I'm grateful uh, to be here with you all, and I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful not because of any misplaced pain-avoiding optimism on my part, uh, not because of anything that I can drum up or, or a belief that I'll somehow catch up with the time that's already gone, but because of who God is, because of how God works, because I trust and I believe in a God who says, do not despise these small beginnings, because of God, I believe in a God who is love, I believe in a God of second and third and hundredth chances. I believe in a God who saves and delivers and liberates and heals, a God who is making all things new, a God who is with us. So whatever the last three weeks has held for you and whatever the coming months may hold, whether you know it or not, I trust and I believe and I am praying that you know and you experience the flourishing of God's kingdom life, the all-encompassing liberation and healing that Jesus won in the presence of God's Holy Spirit with you right here and right now. And that's the theme of of this part of the Gospel of Mark that we're in, how to really live. How to really live. These last few chapters of the Gospel in which we hear about the last few weeks of Jesus' earthly life, in which we see Jesus heading toward the cross, these are the moments in which we learn what it means to really live, on this side of death as well as on the other side. Over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Matthew and Pastor Andrea walked us through chapter 11 of Mark, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem to adoring crowds and cries of Hosanna, which means Lord save, and his cleansing of the temple when he cleared out the money changers, he overturned the tables. And as we heard last week, the whole chapter, all of chapter 11, is like a sandwich within a sandwich within a sandwich. It's like a, a Big Mac or a double-double for our, my In-N-Out siblings. Uh, Mark loves to put stories within stories to make a point, to direct us, to direct our attention to what he's trying to show us about Jesus. So this is one way that chapter 11, I want to give the context, one way that chapter 11 might be broken down. You can see the the parallels 
as they, as they come in. So on the, at the, the beginning of chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, you have a section on Jesus' authority. So at the beginning of chapter 11, he's giving his disciples instructions about getting ready for Palm Sunday with the, with the donkey and, and, uh, and telling the disciples to say, the Lord needs it. And at the end of chapter 11, Jesus' authority is questioned by the religious leaders, where they ask, by whose authority do you do these things? And Jesus refuses to be caught in their trap. The next story in is about faith in God. So beginning of, of, of chapter 11, faith in God. When the people are crying, Hosanna, they're putting their faith in God. They're expressing their faith in God. And at the end, where Jesus talks about prayer, believe and it will be so. Pray and it will be so. The next story in is about the fig tree, where Jesus encounters this, uh, we have this visual parable. Jesus encounters a fig tree that is showing no fruit uh, on his way into, uh, into uh, the temple, and then the next day, the fig tree is withered at its roots. And at the center of this chapter, the meat of the sandwich, the story that illustrates and explains everything else, we have Jesus in the temple. Overturning tables and overturning oppressive practices, challenging the status quo and the religious and economic systems and structures of the day because they were building barriers to the worship of God attaching the unjust burden of ex economic exploitation and religious exclusion to the worship of God, making it harder for, for the poor and for women and for outsiders to come to God. That's at the middle of the story. The context for today's passage from Mark 11 is the truth that Jesus' authority, which we see at the top and at the bottom, Jesus' authority has a purpose, which we see in the middle, in the cleansing of the temple. It is for the salvation and the liberation of the marginalized and oppressed, those who are poor and those who are poor in spirit, those who are outsiders and those who have been treated as outsiders. Faith in God, that next story in, whether through cries of Hosanna, Lord save, or through stumbling, fumbling prayers of mustard seed faith, is faith in the one who is just, what we see in the middle, the one whose will is justice, the one whose work is about freedom and opportunity for those who do not have it, for those who've been kept from it, for those Howard Thurman would call the disinherited, and the fruit that the Lord is looking for, that intersection, that inner story, the fruit that the Lord is growing is just that, salvation, deliverance, liberation in the here and now as well as into eternity. This is how Mark and sandwiches work. You understand the rest of it by looking at the middle, okay? All of this forms the backdrop for today's passage, which is a story Jesus told. So immediately after his confrontation with the, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, Jesus tells them a parable. Now sometimes Jesus tells parables to the crowds, right? And he explains it to the disciples because they're like, what? I don't understand. And then they still don't understand after he explains it to them. But that's a, we do that too. But this one, this parable was directed at the spiritual leaders. It says Jesus spoke to them the spiritual leaders, in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower. And then he rented it to tenant farmers and took a trip. Now this language would have been familiar to Jesus' listeners, especially as those who were religiously educated. This is a direct callback to the language of Isaiah, one of Israel's greatest prophets. Listen to this from chapter 5 of Isaiah. My loved one had a vineyard. He dug it cleared away its stones, planted it with excellent vines, built a tower inside it, and dug out a wine vat in it. Planted a vineyard, dug a pit for a wine press, built a watchtower, in, in other words, set it up for success. There's parallels there already, but let's keep going in Isaiah 5. He, the, the, the vineyard owner, expected it to grow good grapes, but it grew 
rotten grapes. We heard about a disappointing harvest just last week, didn't we? Fruit that didn't show up like it was expected to, like it was supposed to. And in case we needed it spelled out, Isaiah is very clear in verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of heavenly forces is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are the plantings in which God delighted. God is the vineyard owner, the vineyard is Israel, and the, and, and the rotten grapes, the disappointing fruit, says God expected justice, but there was bloodshed. God expected righteousness, but there was a cry of distress. Justice and righteousness were the desired fruit in Isaiah 5. Justice and righteousness were the desired fruit here in Mark. Right? Justice and righteousness are what Jesus was expecting in the temple, in the house of God, but he could not find, and so he cleansed the temple. There's no way the religious leaders who are listening to this are not picking up what Jesus is putting down. No way. In Jesus' parable, though, the focus is not on the fruit of the vineyard. It's on the tenant's were charged with looking after the vineyard for the owner. Now, who's charged with looking after Israel? It's leaders, right? The teachers of the law, the, the priests, the scribes, the elders of the people. But in Jesus' story, the tenants disrespect the owner's servants. They beat some and they kill others. These tenants fail to discharge their instructions. They fail to honor the owner, the Lord Almighty, or those sent by the owner, God's prophets. Some beaten, some killed, few listened to. Last week, Pastor Andrea said, Mark points us toward the authority of Jesus to name and call out the places that are void of fruit, where the weeds are pulling out the nutrients from the soil, but only for their own gain. And here Jesus is naming and calling out the people that are void of fruit, the leeching weeds, the self-seekers. And he's not being subtle about it at all. It's them. He's talking to them pretty straight way. Jesus keeps going, and he's not pulling his punches. He said, now the landowner had one son whom he loved dearly. He sent him last, thinking, they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to each other, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They grabbed him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it's amazing in our eyes. In this, these, these few verses, Jesus alludes to his own identity as the Son of God. It's actually one of the few places in scripture where he does this. He predicts the rejection and death that lie before him, as he has for the last few chapters. And he says that God will vindicate him over those who oppose him. The vineyard owner will destroy the tenants and set up the rejected son as a foundation stone for what he is building. No wonder the religious leaders were opposed to Jesus. No wonder they wanted to be rid of him. Verse 12 says they knew, they knew that he had told the parable against them. They knew he was placing them in opposition to God, the very one they claimed to speak for. To be a Christian in the United States is to experience and, and have to figure out our faith in a country where certain forms of Christianity have dominated the landscape and our history, many of which have not at all looked like the God, the Jesus they claim to speak for. I think of churches and priests and pastors who have committed or covered up abuse of women and children, disbelieve those who have had the courage to speak up. I think of 
slaveholding and white supremacist forms of Christianity that denied the humanity and the freedom of fellow image bearers while preaching so-called good news. I think of patriarchal and misogynistic forms of Christianity that deny the equality of women and the ability of women to lead in God's church. Those who were often the most faithful, last at the cross and first at the tomb and first to preach the resurrection. I think of homophobic and transphobic forms of Christianity that deny the belovedness of all people not just depriving the church of opportunities to learn from our queer siblings, but even driving them to question if life is worth it. None of us has escaped misshapen understandings of Jesus and of faith. It's one of the byproducts of living in a fallen world. Now, sometimes, sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes our finite minds and our unhealed souls, they pass on unhealth. Sometimes we don't get it right. What, what Jesus is addressing here is not imperfection. It's not just making mistakes. What Jesus is addressing is those in power who are abusing their power. We need to notice, friends, we need to notice how Jesus engaged with people differently. His most compassionate, his most grace-filled, his most forgiving words were often directed to those most marginalized, most vulnerable, most downtrodden. And his harshest words were often directed at those with privilege and power, those we should have known better. Those who had the opportunity and the ability and the calling as the spiritual and religious leaders, those who had influence in political and economic matters, and yet who failed to recognize that the standard they would be measured against was not how well they were doing, but how well they were taking care of the least of these. In a, in a previous church I was a part of, I experienced what I later came to understand his spiritual abuse. As is often the case with abuse, I was made to think that I was the problem. I wondered if I was the troublemaker, if I was the only one, if I was the one being unfaithful to God. Now, I'm already one who is fairly uh, conflict-averse by inclination, so you know, I was, it wasn't like I was raring to, to go public and burn it all down and, and wave a flag in righteous anger. Like I said, I didn't even fully know what was happening at the time. So I kept silent about it. I left quietly. I wrestled with my faith and with my calling with God. And in the years that followed, especially once I was able to name it and, and as I connected with others who had experienced similar things and similarly not known how to understand their experiences as spiritual abuse, I mean, who wants to claim that for themselves? I continued to wonder if I should have spoken up, if I could have done more to help keep others safe. Sometimes I still wonder. It's hard to separate our experiences of and at the hands of those, uh, at the hands of those claiming to represent God from our experiences of God. Right? It's hard to separate our experiences of and our experiences at the hands of those who claim to represent God from our experiences of God. In the words of Carol Howard Merritt from her book, Healing Spiritual Wounds, she says the reason religious wounds can cut so deeply is that they carry the weight of God with them. In some way, we have felt that God was behind what wounded us. And so the first step in spiritual healing is to learn to love God by separating God from our experience of being wounded. In this fallen world, all of us have things we're healing from. All of us 
are hopefully on a journey to try to see God as truly as God is, at least as much as we can, this side of Christ's return. And not just through someone else's broken lens or someone else's limited worldview. This is one of the reasons we're looking at Mark's gospel. It's one of the reasons that every few years we go through a gospel as a church. Because we heal when we look to Jesus. We heal when we look to Jesus because when we look to Jesus, we see who God is. Who God really is. What God is like. What God looks like. What God says. What God does. We need to be reminded That God did not condone what the pastor of your last church did. That God is not like the youth leader who failed to report your abusive situation or even perpetrated it. God actively opposes the self-proclaimed Christian politicians who tweet Bible verses while legislating against the very people God defends, the poor, the immigrant, the vulnerable. I take so much comfort from what I learned from Jesus here in this parable, who God stands with and who God stands against. God, Jesus, stands against economic exploitation. Jesus stands against religious exclusion. Jesus stands against spiritual abuse. And by implication, Jesus stands with those who have been made poor and those who have been labeled sinners, and those who have been hurt and harmed by people in positions of spiritual and religious authority, whether directly or indirectly. Jesus stands with you. God is with you. That statement is not just a descriptor of geographical presence. That is a statement of who God is for. Now, this whole parable in Mark 12, it harkens back to Isaiah, and this time to to chapter 28. And again, Jesus' listeners, they would have known. This is what Isaiah 28 says, and you'll see the parallels. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah says, You scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, you boast when an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. Just like the tenants thought, they could get away with it. They could get away with murder. So this is what the sovereign Lord, the vineyard owner, says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Those things again And he says to those who are so cocky about their position, hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Those who lead on behalf of God will answer to God. And that is both a comfort and a convicting word for me. And those who reject God, which we will know by their fruit of justice and righteousness, will be rejected by God. Those who perpetrate or perpetuate injustice will face the justice of God. Those who allow unrighteousness to flourish will be caught out and caught up in the end. And that is a word of hope for those feeling the pain of the present. For those wondering why evil and falsehood seem to prosper. For those healing from the wounds of one who abused their power and authority. What Jesus assures us of is that God is not mocked. 
We may await the full restoration and redeeming of all things. We may await the righting of all wrongs, but we can know because Jesus shows us that God is at work among us even in the waiting. And those who rely on Jesus will never be stricken with panic in the words of Isaiah. He is a sure foundation. Let me offer here two brief words about healing. First, through the words of Teresa Mateus, author of a book called Sacred Wounds, she says, plain and simple, we heal in community. There is no other way. We heal in community. There is no other way. Just as Jesus, uh, just as Jesus was uh, not alone, he had his disciples. Just as Dr. King was not alone in his activism, just as God declared it was not good for humans to be alone, Find your community in which to heal. Find your people with whom to heal, with whom to pursue justice and righteousness and being formed in the likeness of Jesus. Find people who will celebrate your image of Godness, will cheer you on and challenge you to do the right thing, especially when it's hard. Seek healing in community. I was reflecting this week on how uh, through this community, through you all, Christ City, God has brought me to a place of leaning into conflict more. Never th something I never thought I'd say. <laughs> leaning in to speaking up more, particularly against injustice and exclusion. In the church now recently recently someone reached out to me someone I've only met a couple of times but whose work and, and, and witness I respect and this person said I've noticed how you're leading I've noticed how you're leading I've noticed what you've been saying about queer inclusion about racial justice I just wanted you to know that now I know m the work that I do here is not perfect I know there's still much to do but it felt like an affirmation of the Lord it felt like a marker on the path to, to from, from feeling stifled to speaking up from feeling so beaten down by pastors to cultivating a more faithful alternative as a pastor. It is my testimony that God can turn brokenness into beauty. It is my testimony. And God has done so for me through this community. I think God can do the same for you. I know God can do the same for you. I hope it is in this community. I don't know if it is or will be, but I hope it is. Seek healing in community. And, and second, seek healing, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier, by living out a better way. Seek healing by living out a better way. Whatever level of sharing you're able to participate in as part of your healing, whatever you're able to name, wherever you're able to name it, live out a better way. Call out bad tenants. Let's do that. Let's call out bad stewards. We want to call out harmful actions, but don't just be a prophetic voice. Be a prophetic witness, too. Live out the better way that God is leading you in. You, you may not consider yourself a, a religious leader, although who knows? I mean, one day God may call you, just planting a seed, If that happens, I will not regret this. I will be praying for you and 
joyously receive you to have that conversation. But all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel. All of us are called to be bearers of the good news. All of us are called to look after, to steward that which God has given us. Wherever we may have influence or authority, in our, in our workplaces, in our families, in our classrooms, in our friend groups, in ourselves too, with our time and our money, with our energy and our relationships, with our bodies and our minds, with our words and on our screens, what kind of tenant are you? What kind of steward are you of what God has given you? We've all been wounded in some way, and I pray we're all healing in some way. We're all invited, to use the words of Dutch author Henry Nouwen, to become wounded healers. Wounded healers. To speak about and to live out God's better way. Whatever place God has called us or placed us, to allow God to bring healing to us and to bring healing through us to others. They go together. To learn to live like Jesus in order that others might also experience the healing and liberation of God. And I hope it's clear that this healing and liberation is holistic. It's, it, it's all-encompassing. This is not just spiritual or religious salvation, some ticket to the good place after you die. It's liberation from economic exploitation. It is deliverance from religious exclusion. It is healing from spiritual damage caused by those who baptize their actions in blasphemous water. It's emotional and relational restoration. It is familial flourishing and societal shalom. It is welfare, faring well. Jesus spoke up against injustice and unrighteousness, and he lived out a better alternative. He showed what was possible. We're invited to follow his example to speak up against the things that are not right in the world, at least in our spheres, and not or to live out a better alternative. So often we're tempted to do one or the other, to, to, to speak up while trying to keep our, our hypocrisy on the down low, or to live quiet lives that are afraid of conflict with the powers and the spirits of the age or even the person in front of us, to, do, uh, to bring our whole selves into the flourishing life of God is to do both. You know, some theologians have described Mark 12, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 12, this parable of the tenants. They've described it as a microcosm of the whole Bible, a mini version of God's salvation story, the generous, patient, gracious God who gives us everything we need to succeed, gives us chance after chance after chance, even when we ignore and disrespect and reject Him. The dearly loved son who was sent to do the father's will and who suffered an unjust death. And the promise of God's ultimate judgment, that God is in control, that the God of love and of justice is sovereign. See, those words, they will respect him, they can be seen uh, both as the naive hope of a too lenient father. Right? That's what he says. He says, I have, I'm going to send my son. They will respect him. I'm like, Bro, <laughs> And it can be read in the light of the end of all things. They will respect him. Every knee will bow 
and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Justice and righteousness will be his throne. Healing and freedom will be found in him, and whoever believes in him, the one sent in love, the one who came because of love, whoever trusts in him, whoever builds their life and living on this cornerstone will really live. Church, may we be spurred toward conscious and intentional engagement with the possibilities of God. May we be stirred from whatever numbing we find ourselves turning to in our avoidance of the hard things of life or in our repression or running from the wounds we've collected. May we be stirred toward the life in Christ that is really living. Every moment, every moment, not just every new year or even every lunar new year, every moment is an opportunity to step toward really living. And we will discover that with God, Every step in that direction is itself an arrival. Would you pray with me? God, I come before you with my friends, my family, and my siblings here. And all of us at different stages of disrepair and healing. And so, Lord, all I pray is that your spirit would minister to each one of us in the way that we can receive it, in the way that we need to hear it, that you would speak your truth to us that we need to hear, that we need to be reminded of, and that you would be present with us. God, I, I, I pray that we would sense your presence in a tangible way, and, and I know that might sound weird or scary to some, but, Lord, that, that your spirit would be so tangible, your presence your comfort, your healing, your work, your for-us-ness would be so tangible. God, that we might experience your healing, that you might bring your healing to us so that we might be agents of your healing to others. We lay our lives before you, Lord. We want to really live. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.